So how do I introduce a podcast about evangelical culture when it's been a week we've had all this division about elections and COVID and massive revival conferences without masks? Don't really know, but we're going to give it a shot. Welcome to Between You and Me. Hello my friends, my name is Jess Morris, I am an Aussie expat, a music journalist. Welcome to the Between You and Me podcast. This week's episode with Jonathan and Emily Martin is brought to you by our friends at JesusWide.com. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this week's episode and do apologise in advance. We do have a few technical difficulties. I've just moved into my new office space and we're sorting some things out, but I promise you it's worth sticking around. This is a fantastic episode. We are at episode 71 and in a matter of weeks we turn two years old which means that we are officially on from baby gurgling stages and are now taking our first steps actually I have no idea I'm not a parent I don't know how that works but in any case we are on our feet and we are here and that took a tangent like a parroting podcast which I'm not at all qualified to host so welcome to Between You and Me the podcast where music makers Talk about the things that hurt, heal, and change us in evangelical culture. This is a space for the misfits and the rock stars and the questioners and the recovering church kids like myself to find common ground, to find a place to belong by talking about the taboo topics that were pushed under the rug for a lot of us as we grew up and even now being in the church. Today, we are talking about the topic of marriage again not qualified at all to give you expertise in this area, but I know a couple who can, Emily and Jonathan Martin. Now they have just released a worship project called God of Generations. And in it, they've actually put together a whole bunch of songs based on scripture that they're actually using to teach their kids about God. Um, And it was really an interesting project because it got me thinking, what does it mean as a parent to raise your kids in the Christian faith? when so many of us have well we've grown up in that that sphere right and a lot of us are going through religious trauma some of us have left the faith and for a lot of us who now have a belief in Jesus we've reconstructed a whole lot of things so what does it mean to actually raise kids who have the autonomy to know Jesus but also to make that decision for themselves and to really see that in their life well Jonathan and Emily Martin are really great because they speak about it really honestly. They speak about their passion for God's word and for worship, but also how they really organically bring that into the family environment without forcing it. Um, And that's what made them stand out to me. And I'm really excited for you to meet them. We will get to that interview in a second and you'll hear some of their fantastic music. But I, I mean, it feels like there's something to address every week in 2020, right? I mean, it. how do you put words to 2020? I feel like if I was to give it words, it probably wouldn't be acceptable. So we're here. The last week for me has been really intense emotionally and even more than the rest of 2020. And I think it's been a culmination of a few factors. One, last week we released our first episode uh, with a member of the LGBTQ community, which was a long time coming. And I want to thank you guys so much for listening to that. That's uh, for a lot of people, that's a really big ask. And Uh, We had a few people interact, but even more actually go and listen because I know that there are a whole bunch of people out there who are questioning or who want to learn more 
or who were like me and grew up not not understanding how to relate to people who were different to them. And so I want to thank you guys for taking the time to sit down with me and Ori to hear his story about coming out at age 28 after growing up in the evangelical church and hearing that what he was experiencing was not of God. I want to thank you guys for engaging that, engaging with his music and that topic, opening your hearts up to be like Jesus in that way. It's a true honour. Um, and for me in the last week, the emotional toll of that has been worth it but it's been a like I, I shared a bit about my journey last week my journey with religious trauma and my sexual identity and that was that was terrifying that is not something I have done to that extent before um so I want to thank you guys for hearing that with compassion and grace and dignity um and it was made worth it when I found out that my story meant something to others um it's certainly not a coming out story of any kind. We know that I'm a heterosexual woman, but to have that validated um, really reminded me that a lot of us who have grown up in the evangelical church or who are now sort of part of it and have come into this weird Christian music thing, we we still grapple with how do we talk about sexuality? How do I deal with that and these feelings and um the fact that you guys are so accepting of my story and of Ori's story, story, which are very different, meant a whole lot to me. So thank you. That speaks so much to this fantastic community and this fantastic family that we are, and I want to thank you for that. The other thing that really weighed heavy on my emotions this week, and I actually felt physically ill, was the fact that there was a massive revival gathering in Nashville. Um, now, this is nothing new, right? Like, revival gatherings happen all the time. It's when thousands of people gather somewhere and people worship and someone preaches and there's a whole bunch of people who run down the front and give their lives to Jesus. There are baptisms. I mean, that's been happening since the church began. And it's awesome. I mean, that's you can't argue for me, I can't argue with that. That's people coming to Jesus, experiencing Jesus, the, the God of love who I believe in. I will never be against that. I have encountered moments like that myself. But this week I heard about a particular rally that was happening in Nashville, my other hometown when I'm up living in Australia. And I was so torn up inside because they had between 9,000 and 10,000 people there. It was a gathering led by... Uh, and I realise I'm not the only one who struggles to say his name. Is it Sean Fockett? I think it is. If I've got that wrong, please let me know. I, I don't mean to say it like that. But I realised that when I was interviewing someone last week, we we both said his name wrong. So it, it's Sean from Bethel, right? He's got long hair. He was running for office. He likes Donald Trump. Um, that's who we're talking about. He has been leading these worship revival rallies around the country. And it's been happening for months now. Um... Now, I read a really amazing opinion a piece about one person's experience attending one of these rallies in a different state uh, and why they saw it and were like, I no longer identify as evangelical if this is what it means to be evangelical, right? Um, and then I heard that that rally was coming to Nashville and it was like, oh, okay, like how, how does that work? How do you have a mass rally when there's a mass pandemic in the world. Um, well, apparently it, it seemed to not to not matter very much. And that was where I really, really struggled because 
they had between 9,000 and 10,000 people on the steps of the Nashville courthouse singing incredible praises to God. Um, I'm not, please not, not denying that. Um, I know people who went. I know people who were on stage. And they experienced God powerfully. They saw healings. They saw revival in the sense like people came down to the front, people gave their lives to Jesus. Uh, there were stories about people being able to hear for the first time or actually like stand up straight for the first time, stuff that I'm not denying, um, incredible stories. Um, and I saw this on my social media feed and and just felt so perplexed, not because revival is bad, but because I didn't understand how we could be hosting hosting an event like this when it could actually endanger ourselves and others. Um, and my, my inclination was to immediately lean into the right and wrong of it and, and to immediately go, the people hosting it are bad and the people who didn't go are good. That, that was my inclination, and I know that other people will have had the reverse. They would have gone, why wouldn't you go? If you didn't go, you, you lack faith or COVID's a conspiracy, and you would have reversed it. And I know there'll be people listening to this on both sides. Um, so please, no, I'm not trying to alienate anyone here. I, I was just trying to grapple with this because I realized that if I did divide, divide people down the middle, the church, people, by conspiracy theories and attendance of a rally and if they were wearing a mask, because I don't think anyone was wearing a mask, it didn't look like it, maybe a few people were, then I was going to be alienating thousands of members of my family who I who I felt I feel like I'm called to love and bring peace to. And that's not to say everyone is is called to do that, but like part of this podcast is me trying to understand others who have an alternative belief in the evangelical church. So I realized that I couldn't just shut this off. I couldn't just say, well, you're stupid. I couldn't because these people aren't stupid. And what I realized very quickly is that I knew people who were leading this and I knew people who were going and I knew people who were excited and I was so confused. So what I did, and I did this in January as well, when we saw a whole bunch of Christian musicians join President Trump at the White House. I, as an Aussie, it, the dynamic of politics and conspiracy theories now and religion and music it, it fascinates me but it also is strange to me it's a bit different in Australia so what I did was I posted about it on Instagram and I just put it in my stories and I said to my friends because so many live in Nashville um, or who were in the industry and I said can you tell me like what this means to you tell me did you go to this revival to this rally did you go did you experience God did you take safety measures? Did, did you social distance? Did, did you did you wear a mask? Did you not choose to go? Why did you not choose to go? How do you reconcile this with the message of Christ's love? Either way. And I put those questions out there, essentially saying I'm really struggling here because revival is awesome. I'm never going to downplay revival and God's ability to move in and through and anything or anyone. But what I realized for me was that by watching this rally and seeing it take place, 
and I and I can say this to you because I actually said this to some of the people who were part of it and who were who were somewhat grappling with this too. I said, revival is awesome and God is awesome. He can do anything. We need him now. We need hope. But by choosing to host an event like this, not only are we putting people at risk of COVID, which is real, but we are actually putting an entire city at risk. We are putting an entire industry at risk and we are actually changing the dynamics of the world. And I say that because I'm in Australia um, and the fact that a whole bunch of people chose together in Nashville, and I, this, this, this part's selfish, the, the fact that a whole bunch of people chose together in Nashville and not socially distanced and the fact that there's very likely going to be an outbreak from that means that I don't get to go back there for at least a year. And that means my life is on hold and it's been on hold, it feels like, for 10 years now and that's really tough. Um, that's not to say that's isolated to Nashville. That's happening everywhere right now. But that was the really selfish part of it for me. But the other part of it, and this is what I expressed to them, was that there is an autonomy that people have when they choose to go to these rallies. And that's what they pointed out, right? They pointed out that people choose to go to this, agreed 100%, and, and that people choose to go hopefully like being like, yeah, I'm not immunocompromised. I am pretty healthy. I can recover from this. Hopefully they believe COVID is real. And so in, in that sense, it's like where these people are taking responsibility for their own lives and their health. The outcome of it is theirs. But the thing about COVID is that we don't get to choose who it affects because if it affects us, it can then affect countless people around us and an entire industry and economy and a culture. So by attending this rally, and this is what I was struggling with, however well-intentioned, by attending this rally, people were potentially catching COVID, which I may or may not believe is real. They were taking it home with them, whether they had symptoms or were asymptomatic, and they were potentially, unless they chose to isolate 14 days or get a test, okay, that's it. If, if they did that, please, yes, do that. I know of people who did protests and marches who did that. That's essential, okay? But for the people who didn't go home and isolate for 14 days and get a test, right, they could have unknowingly passed COVID on to their friends, to their family, to their colleagues, to the stranger in the street, to the homeless man, to anybody who has an immunocompromised condition, who was pregnant, who has caught this before or is already vastly ill. They could have passed it to a grandparent or someone who has no chance of beating COVID. And you know what, beyond that, beyond their sphere, that then passes on to other people. And let's talk about the fact that this was in the city centre of Nashville. Have you, like, a lot of you guys, you live in Nashville, you've been in Nashville, right? You know what, what the homeless population is like there. And they were literally where the homeless population sleeps and lives and does their day-to-day -day and tries to survive. I have met these people. And by having a worship conference there, you can say, yeah, you're bringing God to earth. These people are welcome. But you know what? You're bringing God to earth and you're bringing the pandemic with it. Because you are standing in the very spot where they sleep and you are saying you are only welcome in your home, the only home you have, if you are willing to risk your life and your health and your safety. And you know what? If these people can overcome COVID, if they catch it, can they even afford healthcare in your country? I know, sorry, I know that I'm angry. I know that I'm angry. I know it's not as easy as saying this is right and wrong. Because I know that this is well-intentioned. I've spoken to the people in power here 
in, in a sense. And I know that this is done with a sense of urgency and responsibility and revival. We want lives saved. I hear you. People need God more than ever. We all need healing and hope right now, however you term that. Please, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that it is wrong to want people to be saved. It is not wrong to want healing. It is not wrong to want to praise God. It's not. But the moment we start imposing what we think our freedom is on others who do not get a choice on how to care for their health, we are actually exercising pain and harm and ignorance and we are hurting the very people at the bottom of society so while we some of us are privileged enough to be right at the top right some of us are privileged enough to be able to afford health care or to be young or to not be immunocompromised or to to be in a state where we've we've healed from covid right but you know what happens when we when we get negligent when we choose not to to push our brains past the peripheral of what we think is important what happens is that our privilege and our sense of entitlement ebbs out to the farther side of society and drips down so the very people lowest on the tier are the ones who are dying and i'm not being dramatic this is real life this is how this is how social theory works. This is how society works. If you are in a minority, you know this is how it works. If you've ever been homeless, you know this is how it works. And maybe I'm saying it like this because I grew up in a Christian tradition, the Salvation Army, where we are very hands-on. We are very serve and live and in a sense like go out into the street. Like the whole tradition of the Salvation Army was built on the people who are outside who are homeless or who are who are quote-unquote then, drunkards or who take drugs or who are doing in the sex industry, they don't have a church to go to. They're not accepted in the traditional church. So we're going to create a place for them to come and experience Jesus. And that's the church That's the church culture and the religious structure that I was brought into. So for me, joining the dots between revival and the fact that it has to reach the lowest tier of society in terms of who, who is privileged and who isn't privileged is... It's, it's not hard to make that leap. But I see it's very hard for some people to make that leap. It's not because we're mean or it's not because we are, are ignorant or evil or have bad intentions. I, I think there were very few people who went to that rally and rallies around the country with bad intentions. But we have to see that the side effects of everything we do. And that's not to say that these rallies will stop. They will keep going. I have no doubt about it. Lives will be saved. Families will change. People will be healed. All of those things are phenomenal. But at what cost? And could we be doing this a better, different, safer way? If you disagree with me, please, please know I'm not trying to condemn you. I want you to sit at this table with me. I want to have this dialogue. We can disagree because I know I'm Australian. I know that the way I see this is different to the way most Americans see it. I'm open to having that dialogue and I've had that with some people already. But but please, from from the perspective of another, of another person in the church who hasn't grown up in America, just hear this different side of it and just think of it. Just consider it because if our religion is benefiting us but is hurting others, then there is something wrong with our religion. And I don't think it's right that even though 
people heal from COVID. I don't think it counts to say, well, 99 point whatever percent of people heal from COVID. Because that means that whatever point percentage doesn't heal from COVID, they've died. And they've died on our watch. And they've died because we wanted to have a rally in a city to save a city, but we don't seem to care. Well, that's what it feels like. We don't seem to care about the cost it's having on the people who are already dying there. We are not bad people. Christians are not bad people. The people who are leading these rallies, and, and this is a reflection of Christian culture, right? We a lot of we're not bad people. That's what I've learned through this podcast. I started this podcast because because I needed to know that there was another avenue than becoming angry and bitter. And so if you hear my anger today, please know it is not me rejecting the church. It's not. It is me being frustrated by the fact that people are hurting and dying. And I know we don't live in a perfect world, but there has to be a better way. There has to be. And I'm, I'm willing to listen and learn from others and to be challenged from others to figure out what that better way is. And for me, that better way starts by listening to people on the ground. And that means listening to organisations who are working with the people who are lowest in society. It means talking to that church who have either refused to go back yet or who are practising social distance and safety measures and saying, how are you facilitating the presence of God on screen and over distance and and through these things by valuing the spiritual safety of your congregation but also the physical and mental and emotional safety? This isn't just about saving souls now. This is about saving lives. I know that was a lot and that was really heavy. I... The only times I get emotional like that I know are about mental health and I don't I don't like to speak up like that too often because I'm so scared it's going to divide people and people won't like me. So if, if you are in a point where like you disagree with me in any capacity that's okay like you don't need me to say that you know that's okay but that's okay I, I want you to know you're still part of this. That's what the church is we're a bunch of people who we have some common ground right and generally that's Jesus or some we want to be included and feel that belonging somewhere. But our differences are vast and that's okay. I feel like we have to learn to entertain those differences and talk about them with compassion because if we don't do that, people hurt and leave the faith and die and self-sabotage or get victimised. Any number of things. You, you name it, the trauma and it's happened. So that's why I'm bringing this up. Because you don't have to agree with me, honestly. And it's not, it's not cut and dried. I know that. But we have to at least be willing to think about these things. We have to be willing to think about them. Because if we don't think about them, how are we being like Christ? The very Christ who, who ate with the tax collectors and the beggars and the people in the sex industry and the widows and the single dudes and the fishermen and everybody. Jesus spent time with the, for lack of a better term, church officials, with the Pharisees when they were willing to talk to him. We saw him talk to Nicodemus. Jesus didn't discriminate. He welcomed people to his table. He presented them with life and truth. And that is what this place is. So please hear me and hear my heart 
and and hear a point of view that may be different to yours and maybe less American centric, and hear the fact that these happened weeks before a very very pivotal presidential election where the evangelical church is very very aligned with a certain political party, and this could go towards its victory. Whether that's right or wrong is up for you to decide. Uh, but know that it can't be an accident, that they're connected. It can't be. There is always more here than what is at the surface, even when there are good people and trustworthy people and people with great intentions involved. Because humans are complex and systems and power structures are filled with pride and ego and evil. Okay, well, how's that for a easy start? Time to get to our guests. <laughs> Sorry, overcompensating much. My friends, this is, for something a little bit lighter and something very family friendly, this is Jonathan and Emily Martin. They are about to tell us about their project, God of Generations. Here is a short bio where you can learn about what they do and their family and their life, and then we're going to go straight into the interview. You will love this. This is really wholesome and uh, far less contentious than what I just talked about. <laughs> so enjoy. Um, meet these wonderful, kind people, Jonathan and Emily Martin. As worship leaders and songwriters, Jonathan and Emily Martin would describe themselves as a short, travel-sized musical family. The husband and wife duo met at Belmont University and have been worshipping and recording music together since 2012, showcasing their ability to weave God's word through heartfelt tracks. Best known for their single, Two Becoming One, which is basically the ultimate Christian wedding song and has 1.1 million views on YouTube, their overarching ministry is called The Word in Worship, and this encompasses their musicianship as well as family worship resources, including their six-week family worship initiative course, their As We Go podcast, and their YouTube channel, which features multiple performances, Q&As about raising a family, devotions, and some fun cameos from their kids. Prior to their first release, Jonathan and Emily worked as full-time travelling musicians with the Mosaic Group, calling Nashville their home base. It set the tone for their first EP, titled Oh Great Vine, which dropped in 2012, and they began to pick up momentum with the following release, Set Your Eyes, in 2013. This was featured by Worship Leader magazine and was listed in their Easter edition Song of Discovery. Jonathan and Emily became part of the Lifeway Songs family when they released their 2015 EP, Not Our Home, and they were included in the 2016 compilation, Songs of Faith, which is basically like well hits, but for Southern Baptists, aka this is big time. And in 2018, they released their first full-length album, You're Not Finished With Me Yet, which featured songs like You Are The Best Thing and Greater Is He. The couple's life took an even bigger turn when they became parents, and in the years since, Jonathan and Emily have expanded their passion for worshipping using God's Word to creating family worship resources for parents just like them. Their new album, God of Generations, is dedicated to that mission, giving us 10 tracks embedded in scripture that can be used to teach kids about God while also be pleasing to the parents' ears. I spoke to Jonathan and Emily about the power of generational worship, what it means to raise Christian kids, and how they sustain a very public marriage behind the scenes. Guys, meet our delightful couple. This is Jonathan and Emily Martin. So, Jonathan and Emily, lovely to meet you again, officially. Um, who are Jonathan and Emily Martin, people who have never met you before? 
Well, hello, Jess. Thanks for having us on the podcast and everybody listening. Um, yeah, my name is Jonathan. This is Emily, and we are in Nashville, Tennessee, and we are singer-songwriters and worship leaders um, and have been uh, traveling and singing and writing songs together for about 10 years as now. As long as we've been married, pretty much. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's been a journey and adventure. I think during this time of the coronavirus, we've been home more than we've ever been in our whole marriage. <laughs> but, oh, um, yeah. Three weeks was the max before whoa, COVID. There <laughs> we go. That's huge. Yeah. Get that. So how did you guys actually meet? We met at um, in Nashville, Tennessee at a school called Belmont University. So mm-hmm. um, we were both there for music and singing. And so that's where we met. Yeah. yeah, I love that. So you guys, aside from having a healthy marriage and family, you guys essentially have made it your ministry to take your family on the road and minister <laughs> to people about relationships and family and worship. What actually led you to that calling? It's so, it's so intentional and beautiful. Uh, I mean, it's been gradual. Um, I think a big, the the foundational piece I would say of our music ministry is the word of God. And we've always been songwriters that are really trying to write from what God's teaching us in his word. And um, our ministry has had lots of phases, but as we have become parents and started discipling our kids and they do always travel with us um, and just trying to figure out what it looks like to worship God with our whole lives and to not just hope that our kids catch on to that because mom and dad are leading worship all the time. Um, but to really figure out what it looks like to pass down our faith, I would say the last three years, um, I should probably back up. We had a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. Um, and Judah is the seven-year-old. He's a little, our little boy. And then mm-hmm. June is our two-year-old. And sadly, even though we've had quiet, personal quiet times, as long as we've known each other, and that's been a staple of our house, we haven't had intentional times of what we would call family worship uh, or family devotions of sitting down together as a family to open God's word, pray together, sing together, and just to really kind of figure out, okay, well, how do we actually, you know, put some meat on the bones of this with our kids? And so that's been the season we've been in more so the last two to three years. uh, And so much of our ministry and the songs we've been writing and the resources we've been making have all been surrounded around trying to come alongside other families that are doing the same thing. Yeah. So it kind of just started with a conviction of us just wanting to do that for our own family. And so we've been just trying to have these little five minute times where we just read a little bit of God's word and pray and sing together. And then um, the most recent album we released uh, was just birthed out of us doing that together. And we just wrote some songs that we would want to sing in our homes because a lot of times, you know, we have kids albums where it's music for kids. It kind of sounds kiddy. And then you have grown-up worship songs that aren't supposed to necessarily be for kids and so we wanted something that maybe the whole family could enjoy together mm-hmm. oh I love that I, I I think particularly of like worship songs that have that have words like washed by the blood which are totally relevant but also when you're translating it for kids it's like how do I explain this yeah. <laughs> so much sense it's yeah. hard to find that middle road because you know you want to challenge them but you realize when you start 
teaching your kids songs, you're like, wow, I need to tell them what grace is. I need to tell them what mercy is. Um, and so it is a great opportunity to, to teach your kids the vocabulary of your faith as you're learning songs together. Um, but we were really intentional to try to not get, I would say, too abstract with yeah. our writing um, as we were writing these songs together. latest project now correct me if i'm wrong is it god of generations or is it a new project yeah. since then no it is yeah the most recent is god of generations so um yeah that released in march of this last year right before everything stopped yep <laughs> before coronavirus and after coronavirus basically right. yeah. yes so tell me about god of generations projects um what actually went into it and makes it unique for you guys yeah, um, well, um, it was really great because we've um, we've been doing music again for the, the past 10 years. And so we have a really faithful kind of group of people that have followed our ministry and they helped fund this project, which was really great. Um, and it, it was a definite shift in our ministry from what we've done before. We hadn't specifically made something for families. Mm -hmm. And so this was a project that was specifically for families. It was us just kind of saying, hey, as a family, we want to make music for you guys. And we were really thankful that some people helped us fund that. Um, mm -hmm. And then, but beyond that, it was a lot of what we've been doing before where we just, we love taking things from God's word and just writing songs about it from things that God's teaching us. And so it was still that, um, but it just was kind of more created for thinking of families and thinking of them singing it together. I would say the hardest part of the writing, though, for this was figuring out what our theme was going to be, because mm -hmm. we were like, should we go through a book of the Bible, or what should this be like? And I would say this album, whereas our other EPs or albums is more of like, what is God teaching us in this season? This album is that, but I would say it's kind of the broad brushstrokes of who is our God, this Yahweh, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, uh, and what does it look like to worship him with our lives? Uh, and so there are themes in the album of why is it important to read the word, and where do we see that? So there's a song from Psalm 1, and um, we have a prayer song, a Lord's Prayer song, and we have a few songs about singing praises and what that looks like um, and why we do that, and we just grabbed I mean, all of the songs just come out of different key passages of scripture or maybe a whole psalm. Uh, and so I would say that's really the, the theme of the album is to kind of give this whole life worship 
overview, I guess, through song. Yeah, and to and to show that there is a connectivity of this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but also the God of your grandparents and hopefully also the God of our grandkids that um, God has been faithful and is, is going to continue to be faithful to each generation. And so we all are one family, those of us who believe in Christ. And so that's, that's kind of the theme and the push behind this album. That's so good. I love that. Some of my favorite verses where they talk about the generational. So I love that you guys are addressing it. It's really cool. Can you tell me um, what, so I'm just looking at, how, I have here, how does worship, how does having family worship actually affect your family? And when I first had that question down, I was thinking about singing together, but then yeah. I dived more into your, your videos and your content. And I realized that worship for you guys is a lot broader than just singing. It's, it's a lifestyle. So can you tell me what it actually means to live as a worshipful family? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's a great question. Yeah. We feel like it's more trying to be intentional about building a culture in our home. Um, practically for us, it kind of just looks like building in intentional moments to do three simple things, which is just read God's word together, uh, pray together, and then sing us a, a little song together. And again, we have a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. And so those times are sometimes wonderful and sometimes chaotic. And we're just like pulling our hair and like, ah, but you know, it's in the goal isn't necessarily to be perfect or to have everything feel super magical, but more just get in a habit of, hey, like, this is just something we do. We're going to just read a little bit of God's word together and we're going to talk about it and pray and sing. And especially with our kids, you know, this isn't like a whole church service we're trying to do necessarily. It's just a little five minute thing we do before dinner or before bed. Or That's kind of like the practical side of what we do. Um, but on a larger scale, we feel like how it affects our family is, I think it, it just brings connective tissue between like our relationship with God and our relationship with each other, because God sees those as very connected and they're both very important. Like the, the greatest commandments is to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind and strength, but then also to love each other. Um, and so we want our kids to know our faith and um, we have these six pillars. So obviously reading, praying, and singing are important, but then we just feel like um, there's three other things that are really important that we want to be intentional about, which is to have fun together because having fun together um, builds context for our relationships. If we just like only read the word all the time or kind of force memory work, you know, at each other of memorizing God's word, um, then it just, it, it's not within the context of belonging um, relationship. our relationships together. And so we want to have fun together. We want to learn what it looks like to really love each other well. Um, what does that look like in our dynamics with each other as father and son and husband and wife and brother and sister? And then we want to be intentional about thinking about what does it look like to serve as a family, to serve one another, to serve the world around us, to serve our church. Um, and so those to us are just as important in our family culture of what does it look like to worship God with our lives? Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I would say with all of those, that really flows out of I mean, just what we see in the word of worship being this revelation and response uh, rhythm that we get into. God reveals himself to us through his word. That's how we get to know him. So reading the word is got to happen, right? And then we respond. We talk to him through prayer. We sing together. And those are like why those are the three biggies. Also, um, they're the 
three main practices that we see in in the church uh, as we look in the word, especially in the New Testament believers. Um, but then the, those other three, like Jonathan mentioned, are just a continuation of, well, as we're responding to who God is, that's going to affect how our relationships with each other with each and other. how we love one another and how we serve each other and our neighborhoods and our communities. Um, and I think what we've been desiring and just have been trying to prayerfully chip away at a little bit at a time is just to be planting seeds all the time to where we're having we're spending time in the word together as a family, not just sending our kids to children's church to do that, or, you know, all splitting up to do that. Um, but that being that kind of conversation, being a part of our family life, um, talking to God and singing to God being something that we do as believers, not as something that we just do in church and letting that just be a part of the fabric of our lives. And then really just seeing our relationships with one another as a way that we worship God as well as just living out you know, the two greatest commandments. Yeah. As for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. We are his children and he is our portion now and forevermore. guys stay how do I filled I, so I've had I've spent about two months now with a foster sister not even as a primary carer and it's amazing but it's exhausting and so I'm I'm in awe of parents <laughs> and so how how do you guys um continually feel yourself spiritually but also just in everyday life and then lead your family in this practice like model this to your kids yeah we um so i think one thing we do just try to to be in the word just personally and and rely on jesus because we're i'm a very needy person and i i just really we just it, i think just recognizing our need for jesus but i think too what's really good about family worship is it it helps me realize how much i'm not filled up on my own and how it, it kind of like stirs up that need um, and then I think we, neither of us were homeschooled um, as kids. We both went to public school, but um, we've kind of had to venture into homeschool because of what we do. Um, our kids are traveling with us. So we've ventured into that world. And one thing we've learned and, and loved is that um, our kids don't necessarily need us to be like the experts on everything. Mm -hmm. um, they just need us to be willing to kind of learn with them and to mm -hmm. co-learn with them. And so and instead of like feeling like I have to show up today and like know everything about God's word, um, I think it even blesses our kids for us to come like with a posture of like, hey, this is like this isn't we're not just doing this for you kids like we're also doing this for dad and mom like we also just want to learn about God with you and we might like hit something or 
that we're not, none of us are sure about, or we might all be kind of moody today, you know, <laughs> but that's just like, shows us why we need to like take a minute to sing a worship song to God and kind of refocus all of us together. And so um, I think just that whole idea of like coming alongside our family members um, helps when I think about leading our family, because it's not so much about me being at a, in a better place than everybody else, but more just about me being willing to say, hey, we're just going to all like do this together, you know? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of, I don't know if talk is the right word, but for like parents, it's sort of like, how do I raise my child to know Christ while still giving them the freedom to choose that? And I think that's a, I don't know if it's an argument, but a, a perspective that lots of church kids who have grown up in the church have had who have gone through a lot of religious trauma in some capacity. Um, and so I love what you guys do because you're, you're teaching your kids and also letting them experience Jesus. But why for you guys, is it so essential to like raise your kids singing the word, knowing the word, talking to Jesus um, so that when they get to a point, where, where they, you know, whatever it is, where they make that decision, they're fully informed. Like, why do you guys choose to take the approach that you have? I think, well, I'm curious what Jonathan would say, but I, I mean, I, we see very clearly all over the word, especially in Deuteronomy 6, that God has given us as parents the call to pass down what we believe, and we just see it as a divine opportunity and command from God, A, but... It's such an amazing opportunity because we're the first person that people that get to present who God is to our kids. And if we don't do it, someone else is going to do it. Um, and I, I think if we truly, you know, I think any parent really knows that we can't save our kids, but all we can do is present the gospel to them and make sure they actually know who Jesus is and, and see that in our lives. I, I was listening to um, a momming podcast, a Christian momming podcast a few weeks ago. And I just remember one of the moms on the panel was saying, you know, I, all of my kids have grown up and are all believers, um, but except for one, but that one child has told me, mom, even though I'm not choosing this, I, I, I know that it is real. <laughs> And, and I know that it's real for you because I've seen it in action and I feel I'm so thankful that you've actually taken me alongside you and shown me what it is that you believe. I've seen it in your life and I respect it. Um, and she's still praying for that child, of course, you know, that his heart, that the Lord will open his heart. Um, but, you know, only we can, we, only we can actually present it to our kids. And so um, I would say that I think a lot of kids maybe feel like faith has been shoved down their throat, maybe more so when it's something that they just have to go do and go to, but it's not something that's actually talked about or lived out within the context of a loving family. I think those situations tend to be, I would think, end up in more of that situation where they're like, oh, I don't want that. Um, but I think if anything, we just want to present what it looks like to love Jesus as a family and then just pray that God would do only what he can do. Yeah. Yeah. I would say we, we don't desire to like force anything down our kids' throats. And that's one reason why we, we really wanted to include the other pillars of like having fun together and loving each other, because, um, that is important. It's important for our kids to know we don't just love you 
if you love Jesus, you know, um, we love you, period. But on the other side, I feel like a lot of kids grow up in Christian homes sometimes and they never see, you know, they know their parents go to church. Um, they've gone to church their whole lives, but they've never seen God in the in-between, you know, where is the God connecting with my everyday life? Where, did, where is God connecting everyday life with my parents? And and then for that reason, whenever they get older, they also too walk away from the faith because they've just never seen God being real in their home. Um, and so for me, it's just, I have to ask myself, like, do I really love Jesus? Is he like the most beautiful, wonderful thing in my life? And if so, why would I not want to share this with my kids? I want my kids to see that I really mean what I say and that that my faith is important to me and that my love for Jesus is the most important thing in my life. And so it's just about sharing that with them on a day-to-day -day basis and then trusting God to do the work of salvation that only he can do in their hearts and drawing them. Um, but I just know too, I'm going to be accountable before God, you know, and I I don't want to say, you know, that I, I didn't take the opportunity to, to share my faith with my kids. I think there's a big push in, in the church to evangelize, um, to like our neighbors and to, you know, go on mission trips and all this stuff, which is great. Um, but if we don't even know how to share faith in our homes, then it's going to be really hard for us to do that outside of the home. guys have themed your latest project God of Generations and like I said before I, I love that you're referencing generations um, I think our spiritual heritage and our ability to impact like our family who come after us um, is huge but it's not something that well for me I necessarily have thought about a lot um, which is why the topic like the title of your project excited me um, how how does creating a culture of worship, a family who's just sort of live in the presence of Jesus, how does that actually uh, 
I don't know, nearly creates a heritage, a legacy for future generations? How does it impact the future of your family and your kids' kids if they choose to have them? Yeah, I would say one of the things that we talk about a lot, it's kind of a phrase that we use where the people that follow us are probably like, oh, you're saying that again. But we just talk about how our desire really is to just normalize our faith in our home. Um, so basically, like, at first, because we didn't, I mean, one thing we should have said before is we were not good at this for like the first <laughs> seven, no. eight years of our marriage. Like, we, we did not. That's incredible. I'm sorry. We, you're, you're both so good at this. Like. Oh. Thank you. We we just, even as a married couple, we did not read God's word or pray or sing together. Um, and then and it wasn't until our son Judah was four or five that we started to feel like, man, like Judah sees mom and dad lead worship on a stage, but he, he never sees us interact with God on a day-to-day -day basis. And so um, we, this is still fairly new for us within the last few years, but um, the when you start something like this, when you start being intentional about this, it can be awkward at first, like, um, okay, now we're going to pull out our Bibles or we're going to sing a worship song together, especially with the people you're most vulnerable with, which is your family, you know, and um, so really the goal is to just normalize it. So just get started and normalize like, hey, this is just something we do. This is a part of our culture. We sing together, we read God's word together, and we pray together. And I think the impact of that is if it becomes normal in our homes, then it's a lot more normal for our kids as they mm -hmm. carry that on into their future families for them to make that a normal part of their homes as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that's really good. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> I, I find often I'm like, I want to start getting really Pentecostal and be like, preach, amen. I'm like, wait, yeah. I think the nice thing too is, is that when you're spending those intentional small chunks of time together uh, to read and pray and sing to the Lord together, it just eeps out into the rest. Is that a word? Yeah, into the, yeah. into the rest of your day, yeah. the rest of your life. I mean, I, I've never memorized scripture before. I mean, not really since I was maybe in the third grade and I got candy for doing it at church, but we're doing that, you know, with our kids as a part of just our getting our day started, kind of a, the tail end of our family worship time. And what I love about it is it's our touch point for the rest of the day. You know, it's just something that we're starting with or some families do it at the end of the day. But then throughout the day, if brother and sister are about to like, just lose it with one another, I'm not just telling them not to yell at one another. I can remind them of when we what, about. what we were talking about in Romans 12 this morning. Um, and, or, just the the heart issues that we see uh, in the different stories of the Bible, they're going to come back later in the day or maybe weeks later, but we have that common language mm -hmm. um, that's already established in that small little investment of time to where it makes it really easy for me later to ask Judah, because now he knows what sin is for me to say, hey, buddy, what's going on in your heart? Like, And then we can bring back what we learned about in the Romans road, maybe a couple of weeks earlier, we can just, that conversation is, is a perpetual thing in our house. It's not something that we just do at family worship time or just do at church. Um, we're really trying to live and breathe what it is we believe in and have it meet us in our everyday life. Before time began and after 
a lot of pressure when you guys live out your married relationship and your family publicly. Um, while, while it's like your ministry, it's also like your ministry is rooted in like the very core of who you are, which is not like I haven't experienced that yet. So I, I can't imagine the difficulties of it or the cha unique challenges. Um, but something that we see sadly is that a lot of the time um, what we see as beautiful and perfect tends to break down behind the scenes um, and like in, in more public spotlights people are really shocked when divorce happens or there's family separation um, and it's all really tragic but um, I was curious about how you guys maintain and prioritize your own relationship behind the scenes knowing that so much of your ministry and and like your livelihood is based in your relationship in your family time yeah totally um and i i think it just speaks of like truly all of our needs for jesus you know uh, being able to run a ministry doesn't negate you from your need for Jesus on a day-to-day -day basis. Like we all need um, his help constantly because I, we're always near the edge of the cliff, you know, without his help um, is what I'm trying to say. But we, I think even just family worship, it does help for us to really truly take that seriously. And even just for the sake of finding connecting points with each other as a family, it, it allows us to make sure we're sitting down together, looking each other in the eyes, having conversations. Um, and so, it, you know, one thing that I love about God is almost anything he asks us to do, it always ends up being fruitful and beneficial for our lives. It's good for us too. And so, you know, having those connection points are really good. Um, Emily and I, it's a blessing and a curse as far as our marriage, but because we work together and we drive a lot together, we have lots of hours in the car and um, we have a lot more time to talk than a lot of people. And so, or even to just hash out our disagreements and stuff. And so sometimes we're like, man, maybe we have too much time to hash this stuff out. But then at the same, <laughs> at the same time, we're like really thankful. Um, and then I think just like having community and having people who know you and having people you can go to and talk about things going on in your life personally you can just be really honest and really vulnerable who who are going to cheer you on and support you in the work that you do but they're not going to believe like you're the best news out there about you you know what i'm saying like that's not who you, you're not the, the latest instagram post to them you're they know the messy you and and um they're the people you can go to and they'll tell you the truth you know because they love you and um it, it's just that's really crucial to have I think in your life as well and, and that's what the church is really meant to be um so did you have anything else to say no i mean you said everything I, I think i wanted to say i think just one little aspect of family worship that's really sweet and convicting is that if you start something like this with your kids especially if they're smaller they're gonna start expecting it like you stop doing it for a couple of days and they're like hey are we gonna <laughs> when's family worship because they start to expect it and just little it's it's such a beautiful little safeguard for us when life gets busy um just to keep prioritizing the most important thing um as a family and so i that is just one little aspect of family worship that I have really loved. It's a little, I do feel like it's a little bit harder to fall off the train and in a good way. Yeah, um, the kids will let you know. There is some accountability within everybody. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, that's a set questions I have. I have a few random popcorn questions for you, but yeah. have I missed anything? Is there anything you guys wanted to talk about that I've missed? Um, about the initiative? Yeah, we uh, we just actually released today um, a a thing that we're calling Family Worship Initiative, which is um, basically just one of the hardest parts we think of beginning to build an intentional family worship culture into our homes is simply just starting and like putting a date on the calendar that says like, hey, we're going to do this. And then kind of walking through um, kind of a system that you don't have to create for yourself of like, mm -hmm. what are you going to read in God's word? Like, what, how are we going to talk about this? What does it look like? And so we just released a thing called Family Worship Initiative, which isn't really anything special. It's just a, a plan that we've created where you can go through some of the songs on our most recent album. And there's like devotions written to go along with those songs and the scriptures. Family there's questions. Family and questions a and little prayer. And it's basically just a way for six weeks for us to just start together to put on the calendar and embrace the awkward and um, just just do that together. And so it's a little, we program equated as we talked to a lot of, we're connected with a lot of children's pastors and parents. And so we asked them what we could create to help um, to help them and best serve them with family worship. And so uh, we're excited about that. That just launched um, and it's something that's available for individual families, um, but also available for churches to use and to get for their families and their church and go through together. So um, that's that's something we're really excited about. Yeah, that will be on our website. It's jonathanandemilymartin.com. If you want to go straight to the page to where you can check that out, you go to jonathanandemilymartin.com slash family worship initiative. Um, and it'll just walk you all through it. But we've been so blessed to get to make music for so many years. And I think we're just so excited to be able to make so many hopefully helpful resources to go around the songs on the God of Generations album. And so with, with this six week plan, you get a devotion book, you get lyric and motion videos for your family to check out. There's teaching videos that um, you can watch once a week as a family. Uh, and so we're, we've really just tried to pour everything we can uh, in and around these songs to help families with this. My first question for you is, which Christian kids video series can you still watch and not get annoyed at? Whether it's like VeggieTales or Bible Man, anything like that. Like what's oh, favorite? You've got two kids. I still love VeggieTales. Yeah, I say VeggieTales. It's so good. <laughs> I was hoping you say that. I remember so much of McGee and me, but I don't think I, I don't think I'd love it anymore. <laughs> For some reason, talking vegetables never gets old. Who knows? That's right. Who knew that would be a brilliant idea? The French peas will never die. Oh, yes. 
every time. Um, what is your dream worship collaboration? If you guys could work or write with anybody. Oh, that's hard. Oh, I mean, it's not really for me. It's not really a worship collaboration, but kind of my, one of my favorite songwriters is John Foreman from uh, oh, yeah that counts totally counts, yeah. <laughs> totally counts. <laughs> he i feel like some of his solo stuff especially feels very worshipful to me it's what i play every morning and um but he's one of my favorites i would love to do something with him what about you you have a lot of favorites Aww. you can give me a handful it's okay okay i mean <laughs> the the ones in my head are brooke fraser uh yes i mean who wouldn't want to write with her or sing with her um, and we love Shane and Shane a lot. Oh, so yes. I think either of those would be dream come true. Yes, that's true. All of them are excellent choices. <laughs> Thank you. We think so. They're like the people we listen to all the time. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, they like just timeless. <laughs> I guess. Yes. Uh, my last question for you guys, uh, and you can answer together or separately. I don't mind. If you could go back to the morning before you guys were married and tell yourself anything after living what you've lived now, what would you say? Ooh. <laughs> Ladies first. Okay. Be prepared for adventure. <laughs> Be prepared for adventure. Ooh. Um, it's going to be better than you ever thought. <laughs> oh, that was the right answer. I, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it is absolutely the right answer. <laughs> Here's my hand, it's yours to hold. I give myself to you. Here's my heart, please make it yours, I give my love to you. We are two becoming one, here I am, here's all of me, you have all that once was mine. Here's my promise, I'm yours to hold I'll stay here by your side We are two becoming one We are two becoming one May what he's joined be not undone May I love but Christ on display was that it's fun to get in something really family centered and it's not it's not a theme that I always naturally lean towards because I'm a single 30 year old right I don't have any kids um so I don't naturally think about those things in the sense of actually you know facilitating them in my life um but 
one day I will and and I know that a lot of you guys are right in the midst of that right now you are planning on having families or you are having families or you have families and you're trying to navigate everything um and I have so much respect for that so I I hope that today's episode was rewarding for you and encouraging if there's one thing I got from Jonathan and Emily it's that you don't have to have everything together and you don't have to be perfect parents you just need to love your kids well and love God well um and if that intent is there then then your kids are going to be okay just just show them that love show them that heart of God as best you can and um I love that Emily and Jonathan show that by facilitating worship time in like six practical ways in their lives. I really respect that. I think it's really bold and I love it. So thank you guys. Thank you. I so respect what you do. Um, and I really admire your transparency. Guys, if you would like to connect with Jonathan and Emily Martin, you can. They have so many well, just acoustic session videos Uh, advice they have their own podcast about parenting and family life they have everything they've been doing this for so long so go to jonathanandemilymartin.com or connect with them on social media at jonathan and emily martin all those links are in the show notes you can also get their latest album god of the generations now and they have a whole bunch of other albums and singles as well that are less well, less family-centered in a sense, but all worshipful. Um, so you can check them out as well. That was a big episode. <laughs> um, thank you if you're still here. I, I know that's a big deal and I appreciate it. 2020, man, 2020. I mean, these, these themes and these conflicts and these differences of opinion have been around for thousands of years. Uh, but... 2020 is like the year where it's all rising to the surface. And I think it's because we are all tired and desperate um, and our resilience is low and we've all lost so much. Uh, So wherever, wherever this finds you today, whoever you are, I want to say thank you for being here. I want to say thank you for being here, for doing the best right thing that you can do in this moment. We all just do the best we can with what we have um and that that has to be enough at the moment we're doing what we can we're loving others where we're trying to love god well we're trying to do our very best and however you do that uh, i want to say thank you because we may not always agree on how we do things but if our heart's right well god can use anything and we're family and I really mean that. Thank you guys for this. Next week we, oh, next week is a fun episode. I just looked at my board. Next week we are talking to One Church Music. Yes, another church band. These guys are awesome. Uh, they are, you know, One Church. It's like everyone from every tribe and every tongue, literally. Before the current civil rights movement, One Church Music was practicing diversity, not because it's, uh, no token or cool or the right thing but because it's like the kingdom of god um and so i spoke to three members of their band which is just a whole lot of fun because they have so much energy we talk about their new music we talk about the current civil rights movement we talk about diversity uh we talk about a kingdom of god and a church that is for everybody it 
it's really healing. And so if you're in the church, you will love this. If you are one of those people on the outskirts of the church or who are like, I really don't want to go there, you'll probably actually really appreciate the authenticity of these people in this episode. Um, I think you'll really love it and find a home in it. So that is all for this week. Guys, you can connect with me and give me your thoughts and comments. There could be a few at Jessica K. Morris. You can also reach out to us on our social media for the podcast at Between You Me Pod. You will find a ton of episodes there as well as on our website at betweenyouandmepod.com. Now, just a reminder that if you liked what you heard today, fingers crossed, uh, you can go and subscribe and rate this podcast on your favorite platform right now. We are everywhere uh, and we're 71 episodes in, baby, and let's keep steamrolling. I can't believe I said that. I've never been cool. My eight-year-old sister will tell you that. In any case, my name's Jess. Thank you guys for sticking with me for the interesting conversations. It's a privilege to do this journey with you. Here's to hope.